How much do you know about research, biomedical research to be specific? The scientific research data on cardiac arrest alone is shocking. Nationally, 9 out of 10 people who suffer cardiac arrest will die, but not here in Milwaukee County. Find out why Milwaukee is a healthier place to live because of biomedical research and you. That's next on CTSI Discovery Radio. Good day, Southeast Wisconsin. You're listening to CTSI Discovery Radio, and I'm David Todd, your host for the next half an hour. On this program, we'll talk about biomedical research and how it's being done right here in Southeast Wisconsin, and how you, yes you, are instrumental in the process. But first, you should know what CTSI is. In 2010, the Medical College of Wisconsin received a $20 million, five-year Clinical and Translational Science Award, or CTSA for short, to form what is now the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin, or what we call CTSI. We are an eight-member consortium, including the Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, and UW-Milwaukee, plus Children's Hospital, Freighted Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the VA Medical Center, collaborating together to focus each institution's area of research expertise, but to do so focused on the same healthcare issues. And, as all CTSAs have found, working together in collaboration makes finding new treatments, drugs, and health interventions much faster, better, and more cost-effective for those who need them. We've asked Dr. Robert Clark, Director of the Institute for Integration of Medicine and Science at the University of Texas Health Sciences Center, to tell us how a Clinical and Translational Science Award can be used to address specific community needs. Good afternoon, David. Um, good afternoon. I know that each Clinical and Translational Science Award is a little bit different. Uh, in the total grant amount and how it's used in the community, can you tell me how you have shaped your CTSA to better serve the San Antonio community and I dare say probably greater Texas. Well, you're absolutely right, and we feel that we have some differentiating features uh, here in our uh, CTSA program in, in San Antonio and, and in South Texas. So we have really um, geared our program to address um, a vision that we have for improving the health of the um, people in our region and for reducing health disparities that are quite prominent. And this area has some um, very interesting and challenging demographic features. Um, this is a, a very largely majority Hispanic population, uh, primarily Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. It is plagued with some serious health problems, and we have a, a very high level of, of uh, uninsured mm-hmm. and underinsured a population and it's an impoverished population from a socioeconomic standpoint. So as uh, you can easily imagine, there are many uh, disparities in terms of health status, access to care, um, understanding of the the, the underlying uh, basis for uh, the, the particular um, ways in which diseases affect our, our population. So yeah. our CTSA is really focusing on that population and trying to do as much as we can to advance the understanding um, at a translational clinical level. Is there anything unique that you've been able to develop to serve a Hispanic community in those disparities? Well, we have established a number of programs that attempt to do that. For example, 
Um, we have been working very closely for a number of years with our regional academic health center, which is based in the lower uh, Rio Grande Valley. It's operated uh, as a component of our medical school here in San Antonio, but but based uh, in the valley. We run a, um, a clinical research unit um, a program. We have a number of educational activities. We have um, uh, collaborated with our neighboring uh, CTSA in Houston on the establishment of a large cohort, a population-based cohort that is um, serving some ex excellent needs in terms of uh, clinical research and population and science when, opportunities. And when you say cohort, uh, is that like a database? Uh, yes, this is uh, so far a little over 3,000 individuals uh, resident in these uh, communities near the border, mm -hmm. uh, and it is um, uh, basically an unbiased uh, sample in that it's, it's purely population-based, uh, but it, it reveals some uh, quite amazing uh, facts about the prevalence of some of the diseases that I had mentioned, obesity and diabetes mm -hmm. in particular. And I imagine you work very closely with the other CTSAs in Texas as well. Yes, as a matter of fact, we, we have a very active uh, group. We call it the Texas Regional CTSA Consortium. Um, there are four CTSAs that exist within the University of Texas system. Uh, we, we have uh, regular face-to-face -face, uh, meetings on approximately a quarterly basis, and we have some um, very active programs going to try to capitalize on the existence of the four uh, CTSAs all, all within our system. One, one other demographic feature that I might mention because it's a prominent part of our uh, program is uh, in the realm of military medicine and, and veteran uh, health issues. Uh, San Antonio has the privilege of being the home to um, a, a large um, cadre of military medicine um, right. individuals and activities uh, across all three of the of the services, Army, Air Force, and, and Navy. Um, and in, in fact, it's often uh, San Antonio is referred to as a military city and especially in the biomedical uh, area. So our CTSA works very closely with military medicine and, and with the VA uh, healthcare system uh, to try to um, uh, one, study problems that are particularly relevant to that population, a very good example being PTSD. We have a very large uh, program um, in the area of PTSD that's jointly funded by the Department of Defense and the Veterans Health Administration and is a, really a, a key program uh, within our center. Um, and, and so that's another um, really prominent uh, feature of our CTA, CTSA activities. Uh, similarly, the Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin CTSA uh, works closely with our PTSD community as well and Dry Hooch of America, which is a community uh, outreach organization that supports veterans. So I, yes, excellent. I've heard about that. Yeah, it's fascinating to talk to other principal investigators at the other CTSAs because all of us seem to kind of know what the same major health issues are and kind of are attacking them at the same time. It's nice to be able to have this network to be able to consult each other and to really bring team science to the forefront. I could not agree with you more. I think that's one of the uh, major strengths of the National CTSA Consortium is, is that um, we have um, a lot of good minds focusing 
on um, uh, these problems and best practices, it seems to me, are, are bound to uh, uh, come out of these collaborations. Well, that's excellent, Doctor. Thank you so much for sharing uh, the uniqueness of your uh, CTSA. I know that everybody's communities are different, and it's uh, very good to hear how much effort you're putting into really addressing the needs of the community of South Texas. It's been my pleasure. Every CTSA engages the community through research, whether that's in shaping the priorities and topics that are being studied, or through participating in clinical trials to better the health of their community. Here is where you enter the picture. If you've never participated in research, you should know the time you devote is valued immensely by the medical community. We asked the Medical College of Wisconsin's Director of Human Research Protections, Dr. David Clark, to walk us through the process of getting a research study developed for the community and how each participant is cared for. Dr. Clark, let me ask you this. Before any research even gets to the clinical trial phase, before it engages any human beings in research or the community, it goes through a very stringent a review policy, review procedure. Can you tell me a little bit about the institutional review uh, board that happens here at the Medical College of Wisconsin? Sure. Um, many of the studies that we're talking about are federally funded, and so there's a fairly stringent federal level uh, review of all the safety considerations we'll be discussing. Uh, but MCW, like most academic medical centers, don't take that for granted. We want to do the review from scratch ourselves here at MCW to make sure that all safety considerations have been examined thoroughly. So our process is to first of all require a scientific review. If there's an, not enough meat on the bones, if there's not enough real scientific potential, if we're not going to learn something medically important, likely to relieve suffering or save lives, uh, we don't want to expose subjects or, or our patients to any risks. If the study passes a, a stiff scientific review so that uh, we have good reason to think that there is merit to the study, then it moves to the safety review. If a study involves human subjects in any way, shape, or form, it must go through the safety review and not one element of the study can begin until that safety review is finished and an approval is issued. And let me be quick to tell you, many studies are delayed considerable amounts of time until the safety issues are worked out, and some studies are disapproved by the Institutional Review Board because they simply can't be shown to be safe enough. So it is a tough process. And so after it's gone through the scientific review, and after it's gone through the safety review, there's also a discussion about the ethics of the research. Yes, there are a handful of ethical questions that are uh, cast in, 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 in regulations. Uh, so it's, it's not a, a matter of uh, looking up to the sky and asking vague ethical questions. Uh, we really have to prove up for every study a list of specific issues, and I'll give you a few examples. Uh, the, uh, the hospital committee, and, and by the way, uh, we are required to have non-medical uh, center pe people representing the community sit on the IRB, so it's not all an inside job. But the committee looks, first of all, at the risk-benefit ratio, how much, how much risk of harm or embarrassment or, or, uh, or pain are we going to put subjects to, 
and what is the likelihood that they will benefit from this study? Uh, a second consideration has to do with who are the subjects and who's going to reap the rewards of the study. We don't, for example, allow studies to go to one population uh, because it's too risky um, for everybody else. For example, we don't take studies to prisons uh, to test on prisoners um, because they can be tricked or coerced to volunteer for studies with promise of early release when, when they're really not going to be the recipients of the medical care uh, or the benefits of the uh, scientific study. Uh, another consideration is informed consent. Uh, the IRB is, is probably first and foremost concerned with whether the investigator has a script and a written document, both, for presenting the study, the purpose of the study, what it involves, how long it's going to last, what the risks are, how much pain is involved, um, and, uh, and, and really addressing all of the questions that a subject might have and allowing a subject to have enough time to decide or consult their own doctor or consult family members unless there's a plan for a, a really, really thorough discussion of whether the subject wants to get into the study or not, reminding the subject at every turn they can say no or even after enrolled in the study they can change their mind and drop out unless that discussion is simple and clear and, and one that the subject will be able to understand, um, we don't approve the study. Thank you, Dr. Clark. It really shows the public how much respect that the institutions give to the members of the community that join clinical trials and that really help us advance the health and the scientific discovery here at the Medical College and really throughout um, all of the CTSI partners. The whole idea is that uh, it cannot be a good study, it cannot be a scientific study unless it is a fair, considerate, ethical study. The best science, uh, the only good science is ethical science. Thank you for that, Dr. Clark. As I said at the top of the show, Milwaukee County is unique in the kinds of research it does and is asked to do by the National Institutes of Health. In fact, you may have already contributed to the better health of the community. Right after this quick break, we'll tell you how that's happening. sat down with Dr. Tom Ofterheide at the Adult Translational Research Unit at Friedert Hospital to learn more about a study he's leading to improve survival rates after suffering cardiac arrest, the third leading cause of death in the United States. Dr. Ofterheide, uh, why don't you start by telling me or debunking some of the myths uh, about cardiac arrest? 
thank you for asking that question, David. Uh, there are so many misconceptions about a cardiac arrest. Uh, one of the most common is that a heart attack and cardiac arrest are the same thing. In fact, they are completely different. A heart attack occurs when a blood clot blocks blood flow in an artery to a portion of the heart, causing that portion of the heart muscle to die. The heart continues to pump blood, and in fact, survival is excellent. About 96% or more of people with heart attacks survive. Cardiac arrest, on the other hand, occurs when the heart suddenly and unexpectedly goes into a heart rhythm that does not pump blood immediately causing no blood flow to the entire body, resulting in an instant collapse and loss of consciousness. The survival rate from cardiac arrest is dismal. Nationally, about 92% or more of patients die from cardiac arrest. And that means that more than nine out of 10 people die with our current um, interventions. One of the other misconceptions is that cardiac arrest is not very common. In fact, 450 to 500,000 cardiac arrests occur each year in the United States. To get an understanding of this number, this very high number, it's similar to two full 747 airplanes crashing and killing everyone on board each day in the United States. It is the third leading cause of death in this country. We clearly need more effective treatments for this significant public health problem. Uh, Milwaukee is one of 11 sites nationally engaged in this NIH study for cardiac arrest. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, for the past 30 years, the Milwaukee County Emergency Medical Services System in collaboration with the medical college has been dedicated to improving survival from cardiac arrest in our community through research. And the citizens of Milwaukee County have benefited immensely from new, innovative, and more effective treatments originated here in our community from research. Just briefly, these include public access to fibrillation. Those are the automated external defibrillators we see at the airports and in airplanes when we fly. Um, we identified uh, various aspects of CPR that now have been incorporated into the American Heart Association guidelines, resulting in high performance CPR, which is much more effective. Um, electronic CPR feedback that provides a quality resuscitation practice as well as a new device called the impedance threshold device, which doubles the effectiveness of CPR. By concentrating on this disease in our community and improving the care through research, Milwaukee County enjoys one of the highest survival rates from cardiac arrest in the country, 12.5% compared with 7.9% survival nationwide. Nonetheless, 12.5% is still not high enough. How does the uh, Milwaukee uh, EMS Council support this research? The research is supported widely throughout our community. Uh, Milwaukee County EMS uh, is, understands that by participating in research, their, their general quality of care increases, just in general. 
and uh, can see the direct result on the survival of their patients. So they've been very enthusiastic and very supportive. Uh, doctor, can we get a little bit more specific about this actual study? Tell me how this study is conducted. Yes, so the uh, study is called the Continuous Chest Compression, or CCC trial, uh, for standard CPR, and essentially is evaluating the effectiveness of two different chest compression approaches for CPR. The first is what's called continuous chest compressions with intermittent breaths for the first six minutes when professional rescuers arrive. And that is being compared with interrupted chest compressions where the professional rescuers provide 30 chest compressions, then stop their chest compressions to provide two breaths. The latter is the traditional way of performing CPR, but there is good evidence that by providing continuous chest compressions without stopping, yet providing some intermittent breaths, may result in a higher survival rate as well as a higher survival rate with good neurological outcome. How would you define success? And when the study is complete, if we improve survival rate by X percent, what would that be to you? That's an excellent question. Um, I'll answer it two ways. First, uh, what represents an important incremental benefit, and then I'll um, mention what I think we can actually achieve eventually. So uh, in this field, we consider a 1% difference to be a very significant clinical benefit to the public. Now why would just 1% be considered beneficial? Well, you have to multiply that 1% increase in survival by a half a million patients. And when you do that, the actual number of patients who will live, go home to their families, their wives, their spouses, their children, and their work is clinically very significant. So a 1% chance, 1% uh, improvement would be considered a, a significant benefit for a cardiac arrest care. Which would mean uh, 5,000 additional people would continue going home to their families. Yes, and I would say that with the new interventions on the horizon uh, for this field and uh, with all of the information we're learning from this research, it's not inconceivable that eventually we should be able to get to a 20 to 25% survival rate from cardiac arrest. That's simply amazing, doctor. How does this study randomly select study participants? Can you kind of walk me through the process? There are entry criteria for all of the studies that we do, specific entry criteria. Um, the EMS providers uh, understand those entry criteria. Uh, and when a patient meets those type of criteria, they will en uh, enter the patient in the study. Uh, if the patient does not meet ent entry criteria, uh, they will not. Can you tell me about those criteria? Well, uh, they're, they're very simple. Uh, 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 adults, 18 years of age or greater, who suffer a uh, cardiac arrest in which the EMS providers arrive at the scene and uh, provide resuscitative care. Dr. Ofterheide, can you tell me what you are doing to help make possible study participants in this study and others like it underway aware that a study is going on? Well, part of it is this interview, but uh, this is just a small portion of what we do. 
Um, before these trials begin, we first uh, go through a process called community consultation. This is to just determine, uh, to notify, the, uh, inform the community about these studies, why they are being done, what their potential risks and the potential benefits are, uh, and, and get feedback from the community to determine whether there's a consensus that they should be done at all. We then go through a second process called public notification. Public notification uh, involves uh, the use of various media. We use television, radio, newspaper, newsletters, we use websites and so forth to get the message out to the public uh, that these studies are ongoing. Knowing that these studies are going on, if you do not wish to participate, you can take steps to make that unknown as well, correct? Thank you so much for that question. It is crucially important and we really want to get this message out. Because cardiac arrest patients are unconscious, it is always impossible to provide informed consent to participate in the study. For that reason, the Food and Drug Administration has authorized a process called exception from informed consent under emergency circumstances to allow such research to occur. Now, such studies can only occur if the current treatments are unsatisfactory and I would propose that a more than 92 percent death rate from this uh, horrible disease is unsatisfactory. Um, second is that the intervention must be started immediately if there's any hope for survival which is true in cardiac arrest literally seconds count and most importantly that the science demonstrates the potential for direct benefit to the patients from the research intervention above and beyond our current treatments. It's important just as an aside to understand how tightly regulated these studies are also. Uh, first, they're uh, proposed uh, by the National Institutes of Health. They undergo a protocol review committee, must be approved by that committee. Uh, they then go to the Data Safety Monitoring Board, then from there to the Food and Drug Administration, uh, who um, ultimately approve it and then these studies are tightly re regulated and monitored on an ongoing basis by the Data Safety Monitoring Board which um, uh, will stop the study if there's any safety issue as well as the Food and Drug Administration. Now it's important to understand that there is an opt-out option for our community members and uh, uh, that if they choose in advance to opt out from this research, they can contact us at the telephone number, uh, a website, we have a email that they can uh, contact us on, and we will be happy to provide them with a medic alert type, either bracelet or necklace that they can wear, and the EMS providers will not enter them in these ongoing clinical trials. And we'll make sure that we have that phone number, email address, and all that information on the website uh, so they can uh, refer to that. So if they're listening to this program and want to opt out, they can do that. Absolutely. Thank you. Dr. Ofterheide, thank you for your time. It's good to know that the NIH and researchers like yourselves are um, doing such important research and care for the community, even if we're not aware of it. But now we are. And I thank you for that, sir. Thank you for having me. All the work CTSI does is done in collaboration with other academic and medical partners, but also with community leaders. Ken Sternig is the Director of Emergency Medical Services for the County of Milwaukee.
and sits on the Emergency Medical Services, or EMS Council, a division of the Milwaukee Emergency Management System. Um, thank you for taking your time today, uh, Ken, to sit down with us and talk to us about the emergency management system here in Milwaukee County. Can you tell me a little bit about how the EMS Council uh, is comprised and how it works? Sure. Uh, the EMS Council is, is appointed by the, uh, the, the county board and by nomination from the county executive. And it, it involves a diverse group of, of EMS stakeholders who have interests in the emergency medical services um, provided to the citizens in and around Milwaukee County. So we have participations from uh, uh, the division of EMS within the Office of Emergency Management in Milwaukee County, as well as in hospital uh, stakeholders, emergency department physicians, uh, representatives from the mental health hospital, representatives from the community, uh, fire department, uh, EMS providers are present, as well as then other um, members of the emergency management and other organizations. Ken, how long have you been on the EMS Council? Um, I've been with um, Milwaukee County 23 years and have been on the council uh, for the past 18 years. On being in the council, um, have you seen the evolution of emergency care uh, during your time, whether it is trials like the continuous chest compression trial or other things that have really helped um, the emergency workers who are on the street? Uh, absolutely, and the, the importance of really the collaboration of that council is to be able to um, share from from the um, research perspective and, and academia, uh, the representatives on the council from the, the medical college are able to uh, share that. Our, our medical director for the system, who is a medical college of Wisconsin a physician, uh, sits on that council, and they're able to bring those research projects to the council. Um, for their uh, approval and for for collaboration with those those providers, uh, with the fire department leadership that, that need to uh, approve them, as well as then uh, with the hospitals of which we receive oftentimes the patients who have are enrolled in a research project and for us to be able to collaborate with the hospitals for any of those projects that continue into the hospital. Can you also tell me if you have a sense of how the actual emergency workers on the ground feel about this uh, study or this protocol? Uh, there's a process that we vet those studies before they get to the field. So we have a, a research committee within the division of EMS that has representatives from the field who look at the protocol before it's initiated and can give advice as to what operationally may work and which may be problematic. So we have a great involvement with those individuals to help us craft and maybe adjust the protocol a bit, as well as then their fire department leadership who have administrative concerns of their staff and equipment and responsibilities and funding and et cetera. So that all is really handled pretty well on the front end. So then by the time it gets to a field operation of a study, things are pretty well worked out. Ken, thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down with us. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Dave, for, for having us. And we have, again, a great relationship with the, the Medical College of Wisconsin, and uh, we're looking to improve the best practices for the patients that we serve uh, through the, our research. One last item. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make sure to mark your calendar and join us next month, next year in fact. Happy holidays to you and yours. Until then, 
CTSI Discovery Radio is produced by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The show is engineered by Tom Crawford, with special thanks to Sandy Everts, Drs. Herman Beats, Carlos De La Pena, and Reza Shakir.